Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we had left off last episode continuing the conversation about the fight against abortion and the direction in which we should go and the call for individual action. And you had mentioned the doctor who had found the direct calling from the Pope to say we need to learn how to do the women's body to get better medicine and to do that. And as society at large, that was the first time I ever heard of it. So obviously we're not doing a very good job of advertising that fact. And, you know, they talk all about, and this is the topic that I had thought about today, because this is something I actually had heard about, which was stem cells and how you go in and you find stem cells at the earliest form of life. And then you can, manipulate those cells the way that your body naturally does to cure whatever ailment you inherently have. And that just, so you're committing murder to try to help someone. And we went back in the last cast about how that is inherently wrong. You cannot do a pure wrong and turn it into a right. Once it's wrong, it's wrong. That's the way it is. So that was one of the things that, I wanted to talk about because I had a figure that it might be harder because a cell is so infinitely tiny to find one individual one in your body floating around on your blood. Your body knows how to find it because that's the only way you heal yourself and grow. So naturally your body has a way of doing it and it just seems to be wrong to regardless of what benefits you get out of these treatments and you see the people in the news, how he healed so much faster from whatever disease. If it started from murder, how could it inherently be right? So that was my starting point with that thought. And then you introduced how there are these Catholic technologies that are respectful to life that bypass this whole problem of murder as your starting point. And I wanted to see if, if there was any more information you knew about them, the, help share the world because it definitely seems to be something that people don't know about and it doesn't really have a a big advertising wing out there apparently well it's yeah worth mentioning the name again it's a, a suite of medical procedures that's how they do things in medicine so they have diagnostic tools and treatment tools depending on what the diagnosis is there's a if this then this kind of decision chart and uh, a whole variety of, of approaches to dealing with infertility. So, and that's actually the initial response to Humana Vitae that uh, Dr. Hildreth had out at the Creighton Institute in Omaha, Nebraska. And one of the diagnostic tools was a way for a woman to track exactly what her body is doing in terms of ovulation, uh, and and based on the hormones that she's producing, there are bodily signs that she can track both in the viscosity of her mucus and also in the, her, her body temperature. And so using those as diagnostic tools for treating infertility so that Dr. Hildreth could actually understand, you know, we have this idea, a woman's cycle is 28 days. Now, we know that no two women are made equal. The fact that enough of them have a 28-day cycle on a regular enough basis that we can say that is kind of amazing in itself. But if we thought about it, we'd say, well, surely there's some variation in that. 
well, how much variation? And does the variation in that have to do with what's happening in the woman's body hormonally that may or may not affect her health, her fertility, her whatever? Well, so Dr. Hildreth just pressed into those questions and using science, he answered those questions using some bodily indications and developing a system of charting that over the course of several months of several menstrual cycles, he could get some ideas of what was happening in her fertility to actually be able to propose some treatments that would target areas of uh, disease or disorder in order to make them right to heal so that she could get pregnant. Now, it turns out that that is not only a way to get pregnant, and it is the way that uh, it's the first approach that almost any fertility clinic will use to help a woman get pregnant is to track her cycle and then focus on those days when she is most fertile to make sure that husband and wife are coming together on those days. And that blossomed into the what we've heard of more often. And I think the Catholic Church has done a pretty good job of getting that out there, especially for unmarried or newly married couples. If you haven't heard of natural family planning, NFP, then I'm really concerned either that you've been living under a rock or that whatever corner of the church uh, you've been living in hasn't taught that. But that's NFP is a diagnostic tool for treating women's fertility problems. Now, it just happens to be useful also if you plan for a grave reason to not get pregnant or to space your children or whatever. If you want to avoid pregnancy, then NFP is a way that you can do that. Um, so, but then the whole suite of techniques, diagnostic measures, treatments is called NAPRO technology. It's a natural pro, ugh, uh, I forget what that stands for anyway, but natural uh, pro life technology, something like that. Anyway, NAPRO technology. And if you look online and you search for doctors who practice this suite of diagnostic tools and treatments called NAPRO technology, you'll find a, uh, they're not in every city by any means, but uh, most places are within driving distance, three, four hours at least, that, uh, or at worst rather, that someone can meet with a doctor who can actually do that fertility treatment, as opposed to doing in vitro fertilization, which is always wrong, which is always just like those other things we talked about, like contraception and like abortion and like rape. It's always wrong in every circumstance to use in vitro fertilization, always wrong. And a very simple way to understand that is that it takes an average of nine children killed through in vitro fertilization to bring one child to birth. We don't have to go into all the details of that now, but just a simple way of seeing the consequences of performing an evil action in order to try and bring some good out of it. Having a baby is a good thing, and the desire to have a baby is a good thing, but IVF is an evil means and a destructive means to do that. Most parents aren't aware of that. Hopefully I didn't just cause trauma to somebody listening to this podcast, realizing that the baby they conceived through IVF costs the lives of probably nine other babies on average, but it's the reality. So we can't undo the past, but we certainly can go forward in a better way. Dr. Hilders developed this whole suite of treatments 
that is the best medical care for women to actually analyze what's happening. The standard practice throughout the medical field, if a woman is having any kind of menstrual cycles, is simply put them on the birth control pill, which does not treat, it only masks symptoms and doesn't look at what the underlying causes are. And so she carries those problems more and less serious, could be cancerous serious, could be inconvenient or potentially causing infertility serious, but the pill, the pill in the standard medical practice doesn't actually treat the woman. It just masks all the symptoms. Um, so that's uh, one whole thing. You actually asked about stem cells, and stem cells is another interesting area where following moral teaching leads you in the right direction. You're right that doctors found stem cells which can grow into other cells, cells they imagined this would be a way that we could cause cells to regenerate. And again, for very good reasons. People have a heart attack, their heart tissue dies. People have bone problems or they have bone cancer or they need to cut out bone marrow. You know, the, that needs to be replaced. People have tumors or they have issues in their brains and brain tissue, nerve tissue. These, these things need to be regrown. Well, isn't there a kind of source of those cells and they said, well, how do babies do it? I mean, you start with one cell and you end up with a whole human being. There must be cells that know how to produce other cells or you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't be able to get from a zygote to a human being with the whole variety of cells that, that you and I have, which is about 20 different kinds of cells. How do you get from one celled zygote, a fertilized ovum, to the variety of cells? Well, there must be some kind of stem cell that produces that. And so the idea was, well, what if we just took a few of those cells and put them in a human being and found the way to stimulate them so that they started producing heart tissue or they started producing brain tissue? Makes a lot of sense. Sounds very reasonable. And so scientists set out to do this. Well, to get your hands on embryonic stem cells, also known as pluripotent stem cells, that pluripotent means it's capable, potent, of making many different cells, pluri, many. So pluripotent stem cells drawn from embryos, uh, they thought, well, this would be the great thing. So they started getting these, these stem cells. Well, in order to get pluripotent stem cells from embryos, you have to kill the embryo. And if you don't believe an embryo is a human being, then you do that and you don't worry about it. Now, if you're a scientist, you believe an embryo is a human being. You just decide for therapeutic reasons that this child can die so that others might live. And that's the attitude that starts going through some of this scientific research. So fast forward a step or two. How effective, we might say, have... Now, we make a moral judgment. Killing a human being is never right. Killing an innocent human being is never right under any circumstances. And so killing... A human being in embryonic form is not right, even if you're going to get cells that can heal 100,000 other human beings. One child is worth 100,000 people. You can't just take a life in order to even save many, many people. So we make a moral judgment wrong in every circumstance. No Catholic will ever do this who has a moral conscience. Uh, no Christian, no reasonable person who actually looks at their conscience. It's not just a Catholic thing. But then we might say, 
well, okay, people have been doing this anyway. How effective has it been? It has been completely ineffective. There is not a single result that has come from embryonic stem cell usage. Not a single result. Now, the interesting thing is there has been a very effective use of stem cells for healing in amazing ways. Adult stem cells. It turns out that you and I, Joe, also have stem cells. We don't have pluripotent stem cells. There are no, there are no cells left in your body or my body that can turn into anything. But there are, there are uh, red blood stem cells. There are heart tissue stem cells, there are bone stem cells, there are nerve stem cells. All the different 20 kinds of cells have also stem cells which exist in your body and my body. And so what scientists have found, and this is driven in part by scientists who refused to do embryonic stem cell research, but wanted to find stem cell research which was moral, they said, well, what can we find? And they found that, for example, if you get stem cells that turn into heart tissue, and I think you can get them from a particular place in the bone marrow. I don't remember the details of this now, but you can look it up online pretty easily. But there is a source of adult stem cells that turn into heart tissue. You can harvest those from me, and you can use them on me, and you basically just inject them near the heart, and the way the body works, the stem cells know what they're doing. They find the places in the heart that are, that's damaged from a heart attack, for example, and they just start to produce new heart tissue, and they start to repair the heart. <laughs> it's amazing. And you can do the same thing with, with nerve tissue, brain tissue, skin tissue, bone tissue, all of these different things. So adult stem cell research and applications are in full bloom. We're doing it. Science is already doing it. Embryonic stem cells, we're still killing babies and there's nothing coming from it. It's, it's horrendous. It's really, it's evil in the end. So now, one more footnote onto that. It turns out that it's possible to get pluripotent stem cells without killing babies. One source of that is the umbilical tube. The, and, and when uh, a baby is born, there are pluripotent stem cells that can be harvested from the um, umbilical cord of the baby and from some of the blood that's there in the umbilical cord. And so again, uh, it, you don't even need to kill embryos to get pluripotent stem cells. You can do it in a moral way if you're willing to work with God in accord with his nature rather than to try and work through our own human arrogance and kill whatever gets in our way in order to get the results that we're convinced we can get. Yeah, so... You you obviously unpacked a lot there, and to, to, to try to go through it in the order that, that you just said it, um, as far as the doctors knowing that it had to be life, well, that's an inherent obvious thing. You can't have something that's going to be a growing material that's going to fix something else that's living without that thing first be living. So therefore, the cells that you took from the embryo were from a living entity or else they would have no opportunity of working in another living entity. So just pure logic says inherently you know that has to be accurate. So the next part is I didn't realize there was only 20 types of cells. I figured there had been a whole lot more than that. 
but it definitely would make sense that all right, you got twenty categories that there had to be some type within each category. Oh, actually, let me correct myself. I mm-hmm. I looked uh, I, I looked this up just before we started to get right. There are about two hundred types of cells, but about twenty. Um, sort of category, 20 groupings of those 200 cells. I, I was thinking 200 was the right number, but then I, I looked at it and I missed the first part. So about 200 types of cells, about 20, and I think there may only be 20 kinds of stem cells that can turn into those 200 kinds of cells. But anyway, look that up if you're interested in the details. It's, it's not on the top of my head. Yeah, but that's actually the part that was going to be making sense to me is that you got categories, and then within that they each have a specific function, and one of those is going to be to fix the other ones that they get broken. You know, that's what, you know, nothing is going to last forever, regardless of whether it's, you know, everything ages and gets, you know, you break your arm. Your body needs to have a way to to heal that, and your body knows how to do it. it seems to be the biggest problem of all of this is that your body already has the materials to fix it, and either A we aren't patient enough to let the body transfer what it needs to do in its own process. So we're trying to artificially figure out how the body did it and just force you to do it. Um, It seems like a lot easier process would be, and again, I'm no doctor. This is probably a lot more complicated than I'm going to ask, but why don't we figure out how the body self-directs all these processes? I understand that that is probably a very, very hard thing to study. Um, but that still would be a question for that field. Um, and it also makes a whole lot more sense why an adult stem cell would work better on an adult because it's already specialized to be healing X problem. You know, to me, it just seems like your body is so specialized with everything that the muscles and tendons in your hand are different than the ones in your leg, you know. That's just the way it is. So, you know, the guy who gets a torn ACL is different fixing it than the guy who throws out his arm and needs Tommy John's. You know, it's different. Your body has to have different ways of doing it. And it's just good because, you know, you don't have to start from evil. Um, And and I guess that's kind of the core of what you were getting at really through these last couples. Once there's evil, it doesn't get fixed, you know, um, it, that's just the way that that it is. No matter how many steps you go through to try to justify it, it started from knowing something was alive, and now you killed it to use for whatever benefit you think that might make it later. And um, you know that that's obviously part of the problem to to dive into there. So, unless I miss something, it, that seems to be the the core gist of of this. And you know. It, it just doesn't seem to be why it's not advertised and put out there more. Um, and I guess the fundamental problem is just because it's not as profitable as, as the other ways of doing it. So you, you just follow the money because it seems like people would go to the results. And, um, you know, that would be what people inherently want to do. You know, as you mentioned before, the pill doesn't actually fix anything. It adds a whole bunch of new chemicals to you in a period in your life when you're already super changing that you're adding changing chemicals to you and wondering why now you're hormonally imbalanced and you um, are emotionally unstable so often. Well, maybe because you're putting all of these developmental chemicals into you and you don't know why. Um, That might be a very 
basic question. Um, so that's just just the thought there. And one of the other things that you had mentioned along your way that I want to seem to make sure I'm right in it. If you start with the wrong means of doing something, the results don't matter. Like you'd mentioned the inverto um, that the fact that it takes 10 babies to make one, that's inherently wrong. Well, even if someone figures out how to make it, it takes two babies to make one, that would be wrong. And I have an estimation that there's something wrong in the how phase that even makes it that if it would work 100% of the time, it still would be wrong. I don't know enough about it, but I'm just assuming that you can't start from a kind of evil like that. And it's not about the results. It's about the how the how you're doing it. Is that right? Or is that quasi-accurate? Yeah, that's right. In, in vitro... In vitro fertilization is always wrong, regardless of those other consequences. Those other consequences are just another sign that it's wrong. But, yeah, the uh, moral teaching around sexuality is that a baby is to be conceived through a, a sexual act between a married couple. And that's how you have a moral conception. Uh, not an in vitro fertilization is extracting a sperm and an ovum and doing this combination in the petri dish and then eventually inserting that into a woman actually it's doing a lot of sperm and a lot of ova and that's part of the reason that so many die because they insert several since not all of them will uh, actually uh, be conceived correctly and so then they do what they call selective reduction which is a form of abortion they just kill the extra four or five because a woman can't possibly bear six, seven, eight babies that were inserted into her. Some of these recent uh, experiences that hit the news about a woman having five, six, seven babies are precisely because of in vitro fertilization. So yeah, it's it's wrong anyway. It's just it's not right to conceive life. It's immoral to conceive life outside of the marital act. Uh, Every child deserves to be conceived out of an act of love. It's another simple way to say it. But then you just see the further negative consequences of trying to do a good using an evil means when you see the destruction of all these babies in the process. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, again, it, it's not about the results. Um, that really seems to be the core of all these evils that, that we've been discussing here. And... Um, yeah, it, it seems to be pretty basic. You know, you, you do what innately feels right. Because as you mentioned before, you didn't have to be Catholic or Christian to know murdering your babies is not a good idea. You know, that doesn't work anywhere else in the world. In any other species of animal, any other thing ever, killing your own does not work. So I... I that's, I guess, part of it is I just don't understand the fight for that. You know, the the, the fight to, to keep it real, aside from a very dark capitalism side, which says, this is my product, I sell it, I'm going to fight to keep my product around from the Planned Parenthood side of the fence. Aside from that even incredibly dark way of arguing for it, I don't see the the full-blown rest of it of saying, hey, we want to do this evil and we should keep letting it be around forever and 
keep funding it to make it available. I guess that's the part that I don't get. And um, I definitely don't get the part where, you know, Obama says you'd be burdened with a child. I've seen so many people around that had children younger in life, younger than they wanted to or thought they were going to. And things worked out for them way better than they ever imagined. You know, how can you know how exactly something's going to be? Just because it's different than you thought doesn't mean it's not better and or at minimum the same. So I guess I, I threw out a lot of thoughts and, and ideas out there about a bunch of things. So I want to know, are, are those even going down the right path? Am I missing the boat? Well, Joe, I, I appreciate your comments uh, of saying that, you know, this seems obvious and why, why does anybody think this is a good idea? And uh, I probably said similar things 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, I understand a little better from the inside in some cases now, as I've seen people who are burdened with a child. And it's not easy to raise a child. And some people are overwhelmed and it really seems to take everything that they have. Uh, they're, they're immersed in debt, they're in terrible circumstances maybe without any family support at all. And I, I certainly have seen people struggling in such mighty ways that I have thought, why, Lord, did you do this to them? I, I understand that from the inside. It's, uh, and especially, you know, somebody who struggles with terrible depression, someone who's suicidal, and now this baby is in danger of becoming an orphan, seeing orphanages for that matter. Uh, we can look at third world countries or we can look at child and youth services. Now I have a friend who does foster care and they've taken in several, five, six children who are in terrible circumstances, who are abandoned without anything to eat for days because their parents are drug addicts and were more interested in getting a fix than in taking care of this baby. And you start to think like, why, why did this baby come into the world? Now, again, None of that justifies abortion, but I'm just saying I can understand, I can feel, <laughs> I can feel from the inside the desire of, isn't there some way we could have stopped this? Or isn't there something we could have done to prevent this? And if I didn't have such a deep moral conviction that killing these babies was worse, although looking at the way that they're suffering, one, again, starts to wonder, maybe they should have just been Put, put out of their misery in the womb rather than being dragged through years, decades. I mean, these children are going to grow up, and what's the best that they can hope for? So anyway, the best that they can hope for is salvation, and there's still a blessing for people. And my friend who does foster care is able to love a lot of children, and people are moving forward in holiness. I have answers to all these questions, but just to say I understand the questions, and I understand the ache, and I understand the desire for a solution, and I understand the temptation of thinking that abortion is that solution. And I understand it, but it's not. It doesn't actually help things. And in the end, those children can be such tremendous blessings. And sometimes, well, and those parents need to be cared for. But it points to that abortion is the solution to the, it's not a solution, but it's, it's trying to solve a different problem and it's not actually doing anything about that why are there teenagers or young adults who are addicted to drugs 
who are sexually active, you know, we're trying to fix a problem way after the the problem actually occurred. And I love, uh, you know, I guess Hillary said it takes a village to raise a child. There were probably some underlying uh, agendas in that, but I like the response. It takes a church, a parish, to raise a child. And that's where we fail miserably, Joe. And you and I have to take ownership for this. We fail miserably. Do you know in your parish boundaries how many women are going through this situation? I'm guessing that you don't, but there are more than one. And are we really reaching out? Are we being the parish family that that woman needs, that that child needs, that those women need, that those children need? We have a lot to take stock of and to repent for, and we've got a lot of work to do. So anyway, again, killing is certainly the wrong answer, but I understand it. Mm -hmm. I understand the temptation, and it really calls us on to be what we're supposed to be. And again, then there's no need. Then it's obvious that it's the wrong answer. But when there isn't, when we're not doing what we should be doing, it's not as obvious that it's the wrong answer. Yeah, I guess that gets back to the analogy before of you've you've done so many muddying of your own waters, probably doing other things that were wrong along the ways, and now you're just trying to say, all right, things are so bad. If I had a baby, it'll just get worse. Why don't we just start back before things are that bad? And just get back to it, um, you know. You know, the, it, there's a lot of things out there that are self-imposed that wouldn't, you know, drugs essentially are. No one's out there forcing you to take, you know, to go get drunk every night. Inherently, there's there's a choice. I understand that addiction is a very very powerful thing that that chemically can change you. But there are still ways to get out of it. I know that some of them are much harder than others. And I know that if you stop doing one cold turkey, there's a couple of them that just flat out your body might die from just stop taking it. Um, but there's still even ways of tapering all of them out eventually. Um, and I think that there's a big part of that that if we fix that problem, the rest of it would really kind of help itself out you know if you, if you had less people being drug addicts you'd have more they'd be able to develop a skill to be employed if you have a job you normally aren't homeless so therefore it's kind of a a two-step process as you'd look just particularly looking at the homeless problem that a lot of the people in that situation have some type of dependency issue well maybe if we fix with the dependency problems a lot of the other goods will be. It just seems that so much of this is using evil that doesn't address the actual causes of the problems in the first place. But with that being said, if you can kind of give us some final thoughts as we conclude today's cast and keep us moving in into the right direction. Yeah, well, again, what can we do? I think each of us needs to ask that question. And our parishes should be centers of life reaching out, life and love reaching out to those who are deprived of it. It's nice to say, uh, you know, you can change your problems and you can stop using drugs and this kind of thing. But even to do that, one needs sufficient freedom. And I think 
the key ingredient to developing freedom is love. And there are people who simply have not been loved. I mean, the children I just described to you who are neglected and abandoned by their parents are going to have a tremendously hard time unless they receive the love that they need to actually be set free. So what it really takes, whether it's a person in the streets or someone, a, you know, a teenager with dependencies, or it takes a lot of love. Love takes time and commitment. And until we're willing to provide that, the other programs, and the programs that work essentially are doing that. I mean, whether it's a 12-step program, the sponsor is providing a lot of love, whether it's something like the Chinakalo communities, where it's a residential community and is focused on being open to God's love and the love of the people, the, the staff and other residents who are there. You know, it takes a lot of love. So, again, to wrap up, asking ourselves the question, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us, what can I do? How can I invest some love in this situation to make a difference in somebody's life. And with that being a, a beautiful closing note for today's cast, um, please take that with you throughout the week, everyone. We'll be with you here next week, and we look forward to talking to you then. Have a great week, everybody.